Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who are people saying that I am? And they gave all kinds of responses. They said, well, some people think you're John the Baptist who's come back to life. And you know, another disciple said, well, some people are saying that you're Elijah. Other people are saying that you're Jeremiah. And some people that saying that you're a prophet. And the, Jesus says to them, he says, well, well, who do you say that I am? And then Peter makes this famous statement. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We're going to start this series about Jesus Christ today and who do we say he is. And I want to start it by playing a video clip for you. And I just want to set the video clip up for you briefly as I can. Uh, You might, some of us, some of us, not all of us, some of us are going to find this uh, clip maybe a little um, disturbing or frustrating or maybe even offensive. I know that because we have a young woman in this congregation who has already voiced her opinion to me about that, and we haven't even shown the clip yet. Uh, She is a very uh, attractive woman, uh, very wise, and enormously charming. And people like that tend to think they have a power over you, so they could get you to do whatever they want to do. And in this case, she's exactly right, except I'm going to still go on with the clip, even though I know there will be a price to be paid afterwards for doing this because I live with this woman and I'm hoping that she's really forgiving and she has been in the past many times. What I'd like you to do, if you can, throughout this clip is listen to the the offensive part's going to happen in the beginning, but it sets up everything else. Listen to the interchange amongst the actors. This is from a very, very popular television show. Let's view the clip. Started a week ago. I was super hungry, but my mom was gone, so I busted out the George Foreman. It wasn't making the cool grill marks it used to after I tried to use it to dry my shoes, but when it comes to grilled cheese, I'm not that fancy. And when I pulled the sandwich out, I saw the face of God. Literally, I had made a grilled cheeses. I'm so hungry. I'm not the most religious guy. I Sort of worship Eric Clapton and Ocho Cinco, but this was different. So I decided to see what it felt like to, you know, pray. Dear Grilled Jesus, first of all, you're super delicious. Please, Grilled Jesus, please let us win our first football game. It would mean so much to Artie, and I think you kind of owe it to him. I mean, you did sort of screw him in the leg department. And in return, cheesy Lord, I'll make sure we honor you this week in Glee Club. I have something to say. Something happened to me, and I can't really get into it, but it's shaken me to my core. Oh my God, he's coming out. Why, yes. There is a man who's sort of recently come into my life, and that man is Jesus Christ. That's way worse. And I know there's others in here who dig him too. And so I thought maybe this week we could pay tribute to him in music. You know. Pay tribute to Jesus. Sorry, uh, but if I wanted to sing about Jesus, I'd go to church. And the reason I don't go to church is because most churches don't think very much of gay people. Or women. Or science. I don't see anything wrong with getting a little church up in here. I agree. I've had a really hard year, and I turn to God a lot for help. I, for one, wouldn't mind saying thanks. Thanks for what? That I didn't come out a lizard baby? Whenever I pray, I fall asleep. Well, guys, maybe our song selections don't have to be about Jesus. We could do songs about spirituality. 
You got a problem with Jesus? Oh, I got no problem with the guy. I'm a total Jew for Jesus. He's my number one heap. What I don't like seeing is people using J money to cramp everybody else's style. Because it seems to me that true spirituality, or whatever you want to call it, is about enjoying the life that you've been given. I mean, I see God every time I make out with a new chick. Okay, okay, that, that doesn't make any sense. In fact, it's stupid. Are you calling Mr. Billy Joel stupid? At this time, I'd like to continue my streak of doing only songs by Jewish artists. Hit it. Okay. I hope everybody's okay after that. Why don't we just start with a word of prayer? Lord, uh, a lot of different opinions about who you are, Jesus, and um, I pray that you be with us throughout this series and give us an understanding of who you really are and what you mean to be to each one of us. In Christ's name, amen. So there are a lot of opinions about Jesus Christ. He's a, the Messiah. He's a prophet. He's nobody. He's your main heap. You know, all of these ideas about Jesus Christ. Um, is it fair? Is it fair to view Jesus, you know, just in the way that he is to each one of us? Like some people say, well, whatever Jesus is to you, that's fine. He's me. You know, Jesus is this to me and he's this to you. And it's fine for him to be whatever Whatever he needs to be to each one of us, is that fair? Let me spin the question, ask it this way. Is it okay for people to view you or people to view me whatever they want, whatever way they want to view us? I mean, would we be okay with that? If they just simply said, you know, I, I caught a glimpse of you doing this or somebody told me this about you, so now my whole picture of you, that's how I take you. See, we're, we're not okay with that. We want people... You know, what seems or what feels fair to us is for people to view us on the facts of who we really are, to have a, a definite understanding of who we are. Because any other way, it just doesn't seem fair. I mean, feelings aren't any good here. What we need are facts. And so what we need to try to do when we're talking about Jesus Christ, what's fair to him, fair on our side to him, everything involved here, is that we need to view it on a set of facts. So... What we're going to do for the next six weeks is we're going to look at the Bible and what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. And this is the reason why. Because the Bible is the best source by far that we have of our understanding about Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I have heard, I was watching the Discovery Channel, and I've heard that people have messed with the Bible and done all kinds of stuff to the Bible. This is not a sermon or a message on the reliability of scripture okay we've done those before i'm teaching a core class right now where we spent the first two or three weeks just kind of dealing with the reliability of scripture so let me just in short say this we have a process in our world that we go through when we understand any kind of book of history any historical book there is a clear process that we go to that we try to evaluate on that process whether or not we can trust, whether or not what we read in that book of history, whether it's about Rome or it's about Greece or it's about Alexander the Great, whatever historical figure or whatever country, we have a process that we go through to try to figure out, can I believe what I'm reading in the text? And the Bible that I'm holding in my hand and maybe the Bible that's sitting on your lap here this morning is unparalleled in that process on the reliability of it from a historical perspective. Unparalleled unparalleled i don't care what you have heard anywhere else when you evaluate it on the process can we can we trust it from a reliability factor and the process we go through this bible is unparalleled
parallel. It stands head and shoulders above every other book of history. And that simply is a fact that's not an opinion. So with that being said, we're going to simply look at what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. So here's the first thing we really want to focus on today is that Jesus understands you and me. He understands you and me. And this is really important. Right behind the need for food and water and safety and security, the need of human beings to be understood is really, really important. It's very important. It's actually one of our greatest needs. And when we are not understood, we become very frustrated. Think for a moment, everybody. When you've experienced a conflict, like in your home or your neighborhood, or your place of work. And then you lie awake at night and your mind just spins wildly thinking, man, next time I get in a situation where I'm where that person is, I'm just going to really tell them this, this, and that. I'm going to tell them what I really feel. They need to know my side of the story. They need to understand my perspective. Why are we so frustrated? Because they don't understand us. If they could just understand us and see our side, they would not have said what they said or done what they have done. If they just simply understood me, it is very, very important that people understand our perspective. So being understood is really important. Something happened to me when I was, uh, I guess I was a sophomore in high school. I went to Bishop Ireton High School and the high school took a ski trip up to Ski Liberty. And we got there before we got off the bus, we took two buses. And the uh, the leader of the bus said, OK, everybody, you've got to be back at four o'clock to these buses because we're taking four o'clock it's really clear so went and skied all day blah blah at the end of the day i don't know what time was maybe 3 15 or something like that uh i i ran into a group of my friends i hadn't seen them all day they said let's take one more run i said well are you sure i mean i I was a i was a fair skier i could get up and down pretty quick and i said you know can you do it can you can you can you get all the way down they said oh yeah you know we're fine i said Okay, so we took a run, and we took a run up at Blue Knob. It was like way away from all the other runs. It wasn't near a ski lift. It wasn't near any other runs or anything. So we start going down. I hadn't skied with these guys all day. And one of the guys in our group was absolutely terrible, like the worst skier I had ever seen in my life. And I started to realize going down that run, oh, my gosh, we're going to be late. Like if we keep going at this pace, we're going to be really late. And I had a decision to make. Do I stay and help these guys get down this mountain, particularly this one guy who was horrendous? Do I help him get down the mountain as quickly as possible, or do I just bolt and get back to the bus and say, you know what, we're going to be waiting on them forever, but they're going to take all the heat. So I made a decision. I was going to help get down the mountain as quickly, get everybody down the mountain as quickly as I could. Okay, and we did. And we got back to the bus. It was 4.30. Now, here's the thing. We had two buses. All of my friends were all on the same bus together. We all had to go back to our assigned seats. And I went on a bus by myself. So I walked into that bus where people had been waiting for 30 minutes and we had some kind of contract with the bus driver or whatever. And you know what happened when the door opened and I walked into that bus? Jerk! Just idiot! You fool! Thanks a lot! <laughs> After I left that situation, you know, I, my mind for 10 years just spun wildly every time I thought of that. Man, if they just knew, I should have got up there. I should have grabbed the microphone from the bus and said, you guys don't know what you're talking. You know, I said all these things. It was for, because they had no understanding. Because if they understood what I was doing, I was actually helping the process speed up. I wasn't slowing it, but they didn't know that. It's a really big need to be understood. I went to a marriage conference probably 20 years ago. They took marriages according to the speaker who was giving this conference, they took marriages who were in crisis situations, like they were in divorce court. And they taught them this very simple process of where 
two parties where a husband and a wife could understand each other. It's a very simple process. And they trained them in this process. And they found that when people were understood, that the pressure that exists in a relationship, particularly the pressure that can exist in a marriage, that when there's under simple understanding, the pressure just drops. And the relationship can become, or at least has a chance to become, all that it should be. But when the pressure is there because of misunderstanding, there's always a fracture. And they found that when they took couples through this whole process of understanding, that more than 50% of them decided to leave divorce court behind and to move on with the marriage. That is how powerful understanding is. And so I have four things today where Jesus Christ understands us. And the first one is, it's on the back of that uh, blue sheet. First one is this. Jesus understands what we are made of. Jesus Christ understands what you are made of. Notice what it says right here. It says Psalm 103. It says, for he understands how weak we are. He knows we are only dust. It says in Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. What is that saying to us? That we were not made of stone. Everybody, Jesus knows this. He did not make us of stone. He didn't make us of this rock-solid substance that was strong. It was going to stand every test that came its way. Instead, we are made of dust, something that's weak. So some of us try to please God by being perfect all the time. And the whole time, God's up there in heaven, and he's saying, I never expected perfection because I did not make you of stone. I made you of dust. I expect there to be weakness. So when we are just getting ourselves all worked up because we're trying to be perfect, we have to know that Jesus Christ understands us, understands what we are made of, and does not expect us to be perfect like a stone. He knows that we are made of dust. It's very important. Second thing that we're told in Scripture that Jesus understands about us is this. Jesus understands what we have experienced. All those experiences in your life, you know, we go through life, you might see somebody that reacts to a certain situation and it just baffles you, baffles you. Why in the world did they respond in such a way? Well, you know, if you knew everything that went into their life up until that point, you'd probably have a pretty good understanding of why they responded in such a way. Look at what the Bible says about, about God. First Chronicles says, The Lord searches every heart and understands every motive that is behind the thoughts. Psalm 33 says, he understands everything they do. Bible's clear. God doesn't condone everything we do. But what is very clear is he understands everything we do. And the reason he understands everything we do, he knows what's behind it. He knows everything that we have experienced in life and what is added up to that moment. That's really important. Third thing is this. Jesus understands all. Now, if you follow along with that little blue sheet, take a pen, if you happen to have a pen, and circle the word all. Jesus understands all our temptations, all of it, every single one of them. Well, Jesus can't understand it. Yes, he does. Understands every single thing. He was tempted in every single way that we were tempted. Hebrews chapter 4. This is why we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus, who has gone to heaven. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us cling to him and never stop trusting him. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all. All the same temptations that we do, and yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it. He 
he faced all the temptations that we have faced, and he understands them. Sometimes we give in to a temptation, and we think, oh my goodness, the last place that I can go back to is God. I can't come boldly before his throne. I'm totally embarrassed. What is the scripture saying to us right here? He faced every single temptation that we have ever faced. And so he understands. You know, everybody, this is why Jesus Christ is so unique. I don't know of any other place, but in the Bible, where we say God's saying to us, you know what? I understand. I know you're not perfect. You're experiencing temptations. You're experiencing weaknesses. You're, you know, frustrated, angry, whatever. And I understand every single one of them. I know of no other place, but in the Bible, where God reveals himself to us in such a unique and very different way. That he has tremendous understanding of what we're facing and what you're facing right now. The temptations that you're facing right now. And that's why every time you're tempted with something, it's every time you fail, every time there's a weakness, and we all do, every single time, you can come boldly without hesitation, without embarrassment, before Jesus Christ. Because he completely understands. Last and final thing about Jesus' understanding Jesus understands what you and I need. He understands what you and I need. Jesus, talking about the subject of prayer, says this in Matthew 6, 8. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, sometimes, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but here's what happens to me when I pray sometimes. I'll be praying, and I'll think I've got to get the words just right. You know what? If I don't get the words just right, then he's not going to understand exactly what I need him to do. So I'll work and I'll work and I'll work trying to word this thing just the right way. So I'm talking to God. Say, God, you know, I need X, Y, and Z. I need you to do this because of this, this, and that. You know, please help me. And I'll notice in the midst of that, my blood pressure will start to rise. And I'll start to feel anxious. And I'll start to feel frustrated. I'm not getting it right. You know, some things are so deep inside of us that we can't even put words to it. Ah, I can't find the right words and he's not going to understand. He's not going to know what to do. And he might do something and it's totally wrong. I don't want him to do something wrong. He's got to get this thing right. It's really important. And I agonize over it. And sometimes it frustrates me so much, I'll just say, I'll just forget it and I'll walk away. I have never fully understood, embraced, or trusted what the Bible has to tell me about Jesus. About God. That he gets it. That he understands That's not saying that I should not ask. What it's saying to us is this. In all of our grappling with trying to help God to understand our situation, we can just calm down. We can take it easy. Because He knows. He understands us. He knows everything we've been through. He knows what we're made of. He understands all of our temptations. And He understands exactly what we need. It feels great to be understood. It soothes our souls for us to be understood. We come in contact with somebody who just really understands where we are, what we're experiencing. Man, it just feels so very, very good. Whenever I encounter somebody here at church or in the community, whatever, that's going through a crisis, that's facing a difficult situation, I always try to connect them with somebody else who maybe in the past has experiencing something similar or exactly the same. So if I know somebody who's going through a financial crisis, I'll introduce them as best I can to somebody else who's willing to talk to them who has also experienced that. When I know somebody who's facing 
uh, where they've lost somebody, there's been a death, and somebody kills them, I'll introduce them to somebody else. You know, if I know somebody who's a widow, I'll, I'll introduce them to somebody else who's just experienced that trauma of going through that. Infertility. There's so much infertility, and that just hurts the hearts of couples in a huge way. I'll introduce them to another couple that have already traveled that path before, have dealt with that. Addictions. What better thing to do than introduce them to somebody else who has faced an addiction? The same, similar, whatever. Because when you just get with those people, something happens. It's magical. There's an understanding that's there. A few years ago, we were helping out a family. Name is the Castle family. They don't even live in this area. They live out in Percival. And we had heard about them. Their son was terminal. He was about a year old. Man, our hearts just broke for them and what they were going through. Came a time when the little boy was right up the street here at Arlington Hospice. And they were just they were just worn out. They'd been going through this process for a whole year as their son was dying and their hearts were breaking. I started thinking, what I, what can I say to them? I could pray for them. I had nothing to say. So I thought, do I know anybody who's lost a son? I thought, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, they lost a son. He was three years old. So I said, Big Russ, can you just go up there? What do you want me to say? I, you don't need to say anything. Just walk in and say, you know, my son died when he was three years old. That's it. I talked to Russ afterwards. He went up to hospice. I said, how did it go? He said, I don't think I did anything to help him. I mean, I didn't know what to say. I, nothing. I talked to the mother afterwards. She said, oh, thank God for Big Russ. He helped us so much. What did he say? I don't know, just him being in the room. Why is that? Because there's an immediate understanding. I had a very difficult thing happen to me in my life when I was in my early 20s. I was working at a church. I was a young guy. I didn't know anything. I still don't know anything, but I knew a whole lot less then. And the church was making a decision. And for some reason, as a young 20-year-old, just like brand spanking new, I felt very strongly, very strongly, the decision they were making was going to lead to some bad things. It was, it, was, it, was, it was not a good decision at all. And I voiced it to the pastor who was in his 60s. And for some reason, he didn't like, he didn't like what I had to say. I mean, I wasn't overbearing. And I just said, I don't, I, don't, I, just, I don't agree with this. I don't think it's a good idea. And because I went opposite, because I went contrary to that whole thing and the way the church was, was going, and I didn't make a big stink about it, got, you know, things didn't go Things did not go well for me at all. And they culminated when the pastor came into my office one day and just said, you're out, get out. And just blistered me, saying all kinds of things that stuck with me for very many years. Now, how that whole situation played out is the decision that they made, you know, just right on that same time that he was saying for me to get out, they made that decision. And within a couple years, what I had said, okay, totally came true. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible decision to make. I was hoping that I would find joy in that. I was hoping that I would say, oh, yeah, serves you right. I was hoping that that would make me feel better and say, ah, you know, some revenge. It didn't do a thing for me. That was frustrating to me. Why could I not feel better at their demise after I told them <laughs> as a young 20-year-old kid what would happen? It didn't make me feel any good. You know what finally made me feel good? I ran in one day to a minister who had ministered at that same church in a similar capacity that I did just a few years before I had been there, and he had gone through the similar thing. And he knew what it was like. He says, you know what, John? They called me everything but the Antichrist. They just blasted me. 
you know, and just him and I talking. We didn't rake the church over the coals. We didn't do it. He just said, he just, we just talked about our pain from that situation. Something in that moment of being understood by somebody who had been through what I had gone through was incredible to me. It soothed my soul like nothing else I'd ever been through. Now, here's the thing about Jesus Christ. And something that I'm still trying to understand. He understands everything that you've ever been through. He understands every weakness that you have. He understands every temptation and every thought of your heart. He's not looking down on you in judgment. He's looking to you in understanding. When you let that seep into your soul, it's going to soothe it. There's going to be immediate pressure drop in your own relationship with Almighty God. Wouldn't you want to be in a relationship with the God of the universe who understands you in that way? This is who Jesus Christ is. This is what is presented to us in the Bible in story after story after story. If you have never opened your heart to the understanding Jesus and received him as Savior, do so today. When this service is over, our prayer team is going to be against this wall over there. Don't hesitate to go and pray with them. Some of us have this frustration level between us and God, and we get to points where it starts to get good, and it goes, go ahead all the way across the line and know that Jesus Christ understands you and invite him into your life. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you, Jesus, that you understand us. That you don't stand in judgment, but you don't condone either, but you just simply understand where we are. You know that we're weak, and you love us. Full on, you love us. Lord, I pray that every single one of us here today would be able to embrace and to fully accept how much you understand us. In Jesus' name, amen.